بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم السلام عليكم The following khutbah was translated by Bilal Phillips on the 29th of October 1991 at the Rajhi Masjid in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. The topic of the khutbah is denying the favors of Allah. The following reading is from the translated Quran by Abdullah Yusuf Ali and it's from Surah 18 titled Al-Kaf Ayats 32 through 44 I will to Allah Rajim I seek refuge with Allah from the accursed Satan Bismillahirrahmanirrahim In the name of Allah the Beneficent, the Merciful. Set forth to them the parable of two men. For one of them, we provided two gardens of grapevines and surrounded them with date palms and between the two we placed cornfields. Each of those gardens brought forth its produce and failed not in the least therein. In the midst of them we caused a river to flow. Abundant was the produce this man had. He said to his companion, in the course of a mutual argument, More wealth have I than you, and more honor and power in my following of men. He went into his garden in a state of mind that was unjust to his soul. And he said, I deem not that this will ever perish, nor do I deem that the hour of judgment will ever come, even if I am brought back to my Lord. I shall surely find therein something better in exchange. His companion said to him, in the course of the argument with him, Do you deny him who created you out of the dust, then out of a sperm drop, and then fashioned you into a man? But I think for my part that he is a law. My Lord, and none shall I associate with my Lord. Why did you not, when you went into your garden, say, Allah's will be done? There is no power except with Allah. If you do see me as less than you in wealth and in sons, it may be that my Lord will give me something better than your garden and that he will send on your garden thunderbolts by way of reckoning from heaven making it but slippery sand or the water of your garden will run off underground so that you will never be able to find it so his fruits and enjoyment were encompassed with ruin and he remained twisting and turning his hands over what he had spent on his property which had now tumbled to pieces to its very foundations and he could only say woe is me I wish that I had never ascribed partners to my Lord and Cherisher. Nor had he numbers to help him against Allah, nor was he able to deliver himself. There the only protection comes from Allah, the true one. He is the best to reward and the best to give. 
success. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen wa salatu wa salam ala Rasulil Kareem wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man istanna bi sunnati la yawmiddin All praise due to Allah and may Allah's peace and blessings be on his last Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and on all those who follow the path of righteousness until the last day. The topic of today's khutbah was what is known in Arabic kufran and ni'mah that is denying the favors of Allah. Allah has given each and every one of us in our lives a variety of favors whether they are the various senses that we have which we tend to take for granted until such time as we lose them like our sight, our hearing, you know, our health, etc. or whether it is in the form of uh, wealth, children, things which Allah has blessed us with which we tend to forget from where these things came and tend to look at these things as an end rather than a means for the worship of Allah in this life and the Imam developed the concept of disbelief or rejection of Allah's blessing through a story which is found in Surah Al-Kahf this is the, the chapter known as the cave and this is one which the Imam has been developing the various stories in this chapter over the last three Fridays and uh, this Friday he was dealing with the story mentioned in there concerning one individual whom Allah gave two gardens gardens which were beautifully uh, taken care of by Allah providing you know all the means for it to be these gardens to be very plentiful you know the waters were were uh, plentiful the, the land was very uh, rich so the gardens did very well and this individual what he did was he looked at this garden and he looked at the people next to him his neighbor and started to boast this is how the story is mentioned in the, the Quran he starts to boast to his neighbor that I have more wealth and more children than you rather than him thank Allah for what Allah had given him he used it to compare to those around him and to laud what Allah had given him over others and furthermore because when people get into this state of, of, of pride they start to lose track of the fact that they are going to die at some point in time so and that things will come to an end no matter what you know how good things may seem how perfect they may seem that each everything in this life will eventually come to an end so he, he looked around saying to this, his, uh, his poor neighbors you know that I don't think that this situation will ever end that it, it will continue on forever and then he started to even doubt about the judgment that there will come a time a last hour and he went on to even say even if it did come because of my status I will have a position with Allah and I will succeed even in the next life this is the attitude that, that wealth can cause individuals to, to, to develop and we have many other examples of, of this in history when we look at the pharaohs and their attempts to preserve themselves you know through the monuments they built and through the arrangements that they made for their own death when they killed servants and buried them along with them believing in the next life when they woke up that these servants would be able to serve them in the next life also you know carrying you know hordes of gold with them and chariots and all these other things and they're only a small example we have modern day examples of the same thing and we've had you know in many other societies the same 
concept being expressed in the buildings and the burial rites, etc. The poor neighbor turns to him and the poor neighbor represents the believer. He is representative of the believers. And advises him to remember Allah. He advises him by saying to him, Do you disbelieve in the one who created you from dust, made you into a drop of sperm, and formed you into a human? Are you disbelieving? I mean, he's telling him really that these expressions, this boasting and such that you're expressing, these are expressions of disbelief. And he went on to say, as for me, I would not assign any partners to God. I would worship God alone. And I would not think myself to be this way. And he went on to advise him that if only you had said, MashaAllah, la hawla wa la quwwata illa billah, that is, uh, whatever Allah wishes will be, and there is no force, no change, except by the will of Allah, that this would have been better. And this, of course, is general advice. It's a general Islamic practice. That when we see uh, things which are either fantastic, great, or even if calamities, great calamities occur, etc., we are encouraged to say, MashaAllah, it is as Allah wills. And also to say, La hawla wa la quwwata illa billah. And there is a narration wherein the Prophet ﷺ had said that, you know, uh, asking his, his companions if they would like to know one of the treasures from paradise. And they asked him yes. And he, they answered yes, that is. And he replied that it is la hawla wa la quwwata illa billah. That is saying that there is no change, no force, no power in this life except by the will of Allah. And the story goes on to show that Allah caused the gardens of this rich individual to be destroyed and left him in a state of loss and despair wherein the last, the only thing he could say was if only I had not committed shirk or joined partners with Allah. And this is the state of those people described by Allah in many verses of the Qur'an in the hellfire or on their way to the hellfire that they are expressing this kind of regret if only we had not done this if only we had not listened to the people next to us or people who we respected who were speaking against Allah etc. and what the Imam used this, this uh, story to illustrate was the general rejection of Allah in the lives of the rich of the, those who have plenty but this is a warning and this is what he developed in the second part of the sermon, the khutbah that this is a warning to many of us many of the people in this society who have and society similar who have a lot of wealth and what this wealth has led them to instead of using this wealth for the pleasure of Allah, they look at the wealth as being a result of their own efforts. This is a common expression of those who are rich and successful, that uh, what we have is a result of our own efforts. We worked hard and this is why we have it. And those people, the reason why they're poor is because they're lazy, good for nothing. It is true that some degree a person who doesn't strive may not succeed and a person who strives may succeed to some degree however the greater degree of our success in this life and failure is according to the destiny of Allah because those of us who had an opportunity to get into education and to find ourselves positions in positions where we could earn large amounts of money it was not by our choice that we were born in a family that was able to put us through to get that education. 
nor is it the, the, the choice of those people who are born in poor families who have no opportunity to give their children education. This is not a question of our own choices. This is the destiny of Allah. So, it is very important for us to look into the realities of our situations and realize that what we have is from Allah. What we don't have is also from Allah. We may strive our utmost, but ultimately what we gain or what we miss, what we don't gain in this life, this is according to the will of Allah and we have to turn back to God patiently in circumstances where we don't have what we wish, what we strive for, and to be thankful to God when we have what we wish or what we have striven for. And in reality, if we were to look around and really determine wealth as it relates to effort, if it were that those people who worked the hardest had the most wealth, then for sure the poorest people on this earth would be the richest. Because these are the people who wake up you know, at the crack of dawn and are in the fields plowing, putting the seed in the ground, you know, uh, cultivating their fields until sunset. You know, when they go home, they're finished. I mean, they've been working all day. They've struggled and striven all day. Whereas those people who have the most are those who come into an office. If they come into an office, a few hours in a day, sign a few papers, you know, drink some tea and go home, you know. Well, they say it's mental work. But in reality, I mean, if we're talking about effort and striving, the so-called mental work really cannot compare to the toll that the physical work takes on those individuals who have to strive all day long. So, we should not, as the Imam advised, let the wealth that we have cause us to fall into sin. And those who have the large amounts of wealth, unfortunately, we find them committing all kinds of crimes. And it becomes even more dreadful for us because these people are classified, quote-unquote, as Muslims. You know, we have them recorded in books as being the top gamblers in the world and, you know, in various countries, you know, people who dress in a particular fashion known as the Arabs, you know, they're, they're looked at as those who are involved in all forms of corruption, etc. And furthermore, those who have this wealth, you know, don't pay the zakah. The zakah, which is what purifies the wealth, which makes their wealth halal to them or acceptable. A blessing from Allah, Allah rewards them for it. By not paying the zakah, which is the right of the poor in this wealth, they are turning their wealth into something sinful. Anyone who doesn't pay zakah, the wealth he has becomes haram. It becomes haram because this money that we pay as zakah, this is the right that the poor of members of the society have in that wealth that we have been given. Because it is by Allah's will that some of us have been put on levels over others and have been able to have certain amounts of wealth that others do not have. And as such, Allah has commanded us to share a portion of that wealth with those who it has been Allah's will that they didn't have. So, it is our duty to be very careful to make sure that we take out the zakah or the compulsory charity from our wealth and give it to those who are in need. And furthermore, as is the case of those who have become wealthy in, in Muslim lands, they have even used this wealth and this power to oppress the believers themselves. And this is a very terrible state of affairs wherein Allah's curse has been earned and as such the Imam was advising the people who are listening to the khutbah, most of whom are members of this society, many of whom are quite well to do, that they do their duty to Allah, that they do not become disbelievers in Allah by not recognizing that the wealth that they have is from Allah and they have a duty to use this wealth in accordance with the guidance which Allah has given us in Islam through charity, through generosity, using it for what has been acceptable for the development of the society, 
development of the family in healthy manners instead of using it in corruption. So in summary, the Imam developed the story of the man with the two gardens from the chapter of the cave who was blessed but whose blessings were not recognized as being from Allah by that individual and as such it led him to deny Allah's favor and boast to those around him and think himself free of any kind of control, of any kind of responsibility any fact that he would have to answer back to Allah for what he has done in this life and this individual what he had was destroyed by Allah in this life and all he was left with was regret and this is a reminder to us that whatever we have of greatness, of wealth, children, etc. All these will go in this life. We can't take it with us into the next life. It goes when we die. Our connection with it is finished. The only thing of benefit that we can leave in this life is righteous deeds. If we do good, and this good benefits others, as long as others benefit, continue to benefit from it, then this is recorded in our favor. And similarly, if we leave behind children, who because we brought them up to be righteous people and we ourselves were righteous people and they pray for us after our death then this is of some benefit to us this is all anything else of the material world will be of no benefit to us in the next so it is our duty to use whatever we have whatever wealth Allah has given us whatever strength Allah has given us in this life to use it to benefit us in the next life because this life of course, is like the blinking of an eye. It may seem to us to go on forever, but it is in fact like the blinking of an eye. And the next life is the eternal life. And this is the life in which we cultivate and we reap the reward in the next. So it is for us to utilize whatever Allah has given us for our own benefit, not only in this life, but also in the next. And the expression of the poor neighbor of this individual is guidance for us as believers to remember Allah in our times of difficulty not to be jealous of those who have because the Prophet ﷺ told us that we shouldn't look to those above us in the sense of those who have more wealth beauty, etc. than us. That we should look to those below us because it is more helpful to us to remember Allah's blessings on us, which are many. And finally, that whatever wealth we have, we should use it for the pleasure of God according to the teachings of Islam and that we should make sure that we pay what is due from our wealth to those who are needy and remember Allah not only in times of difficulty but also in times of success and wealth that summarizes the khutbah if there is any point that I missed any of the brothers who are Arabic speaking or present who picked up anything else from the uh, khutbah which I missed and they would like to make a comment, a further comment on the khutbah then they may do so uh, otherwise no, okay I'll just go on then to a general recommendation if there are no comments on the khutbah itself a general recommendation to any of the brothers who have now any comments they would like to make on the topic of the khutbah or any questions they would like to ask concerning the khutbah and the topic of the khutbah or questions concerning Islam in general. The last thing I said about when we die, things we believe in this is a righteous child. What about the good work that the hospitals 
I mentioned it first. Yeah, I, mentioned, I didn't mention the hospital per se, but said any good deed that you do in this life, which is of continuing benefit to people, this is what in Arabic is called a sadaqa, a jariyah, you know, and this is based on a particular statement of the Prophet in which, you know, he had said that, you know, when one of us dies, that, you know, uh, what we, we, lose, we leave everything behind us, except for two things. One he referred to as sadaqa jariyah, which is a righteous or charitable act which we have done which continues to benefit people like a hospital that the brother suggested or a school or a mosque or you know writing a book which people continue to read and benefit from or any kind of act righteous good uh, act that we do whose benefit continues to to reach people as long as people benefit from it reward will be added to the uh, reward of the one who had done this act in the first place No questions concerning the uh, khutbah? Or any general questions concerning Islam? Or Dawah? Of course this is, you know, a very vast topic, but, you know, simply speaking, we understand that whatever is in this world was already written but it doesn't mean that we did not have a choice in determining something of the course of our lives but that choice in fact is a spiritual choice our choosing between good and evil this is the realm that Allah has given us the ability to choose and to decide. When we try to put this choice, this mental or spiritual choice into effect, now we come in contact with the things which are already written in terms of how things are flowing, how they will go. So we may choose to do something good and when we attempt to act it out, it may turn out apparently bad to the people around us. Similarly, we may choose to do something evil, but it may turn out to be apparently good to the people around us. This is according to the will of Allah. And as such, the Prophet Muhammad had told us that deeds, what we do, deeds, whether good or evil, will be judged by Allah according to our intent according to our intentions what was our intention behind this deed this is what will determine our reward that the reward which Allah gives us for the deed itself this is grace from God that it's an added reward added to our uh, the reward we get for our intent by prayer well we know that that um, destiny can be changed in a limited sense when what, what is referred to here because uh, when we say destiny is changed we're not talking about the ultimate destiny wherein the prophet had informed us that 50,000 years before creation Allah the first that Allah created was a writing instrument. He instructed it to write. It asked him what should it write. And he told it to write what was and what would be. But at that point in time, 50,000 years before the creation of this universe as we know it, all things were written. And this is what is referred to in the Quran as the Lawh al-Mahfuz, the protected tablet. Now, that there is no change in. However, there is uh, what we could call, when a person is born or when a person is in the womb, another record is made of what is going to be in his life. According to the, the, the natural flow of consequences from 
you know, cause and effect in his life. This destiny can be changed by the choices that that individual makes. The natural flow would appear to cause him to go in one direction, yet if he makes a certain choice, it will cause him to go in another direction. But that's already recorded in the ultimate uh, record, which is with Allah. That which is with the angels, this one can change with prayer. And we have this prayer actually in the what is known as the Dua Qunut, you know, which is uh, made in winter at night, where we ask Allah actually, you know, to change the uh, what what has been what of evil has been destined for us. Well, you will, when you say lead a life the way he wants, you know, um, there was a particular occasion when the Prophet Muhammad had told his companions that a man will do the deeds of the people of paradise until he comes within a bow's length of paradise and the destiny will overtake him and he will start to do the deeds of the people of hell and die doing those deeds and be thrown into hell. And similarly another one will do the deeds of the people of hell through his life until he becomes a bow's length away from hell. And at that point destiny will overtake him, he will begin doing the deeds of the people of paradise, die doing those deeds and enter paradise because of those deeds. Now the companions asked him, well then, what's the point in doing good deeds? And he answered that each and every one of us, the way we should work, he said, you know, strive, because each and every one of us, the way that we strive for has been made easy for us. That when we say that a person may be doing the deeds of the people of paradise, a common example which may you know, show us, if we look in terms of this society here where people are kept within a particular environment where the religious nature of the society is you know, evident, you may find people growing up in the society who appear to be of the righteous in that they pray five times a day, they're fasting in Ramadan, they're doing all these things. However, what is inside them may be something else. And eventually such an in- one of these individuals may get a scholarship to go to Britain or to America to study. And when he goes there, then you find him casting off all of what appeared to be a religious you know, garb here in the society and he becomes, he acts like the worst of the worst of that society and you know, he dies in that state. So such an individual is one who his outer actions appear to be one way but his internal, his intentions were another way. So Allah's destiny, it was Allah's destiny that he spent say, much of his youth or much of his life here. But the destiny would eventually catch up with him and he would get the opportunity. He was striving to go there all the time. He wanted to go but the destiny didn't allow him to go until a particular time. Then the destiny allowed him to go when he went. Then his true self appeared. Similarly, you may find an individual who has lived most of his life in a state of disbelief. You know, committing various sins against God and society, etc. But this was an environment that he grew up in. This was what everybody else was doing around him. He had some doubts about it, whatever, and he wanted to find some way, but he just didn't see anything. So he continued along that path until a certain point in his life when Allah showed him another way. Took him from that circumstance, took him somewhere else, or you know, whatever. And at that point in time, 
it clicks in his mind, well, this is not what I should be about. And so he starts another path in his life. He becomes a believer and dies doing the deeds of the, the righteous. I, I, we, I think we discussed this uh, some time ago. I think it's the Arabic term is Qadr. Qadr. And uh, what uh, came out of that general conversation in terms of uh, well, predestination, as we in the West refer to it, uh, predestination, I understand, is probably the wrong translation for what that whole concept of Qadr is. And usually when we... But in the West, as we know, predestination, we think of uh, uh, having an opportunity to change it or not to change it. But we, we, what we find is, in the predestination and, and those things that are written, are actually the choices that we will make. And that's the thing that we don't know. We have, when, when a choice is presented to us, and we have, at that point, we have a choice to choose either the right or the wrong, what is in fact written is the choice that we will take, which is actually going back to free will or free choice. So, in terms of changing destination, I don't know whether we, we could change destination or, or not, or our destiny, so to speak, because the choice that we will select, given a particular opportunity, is written. And uh, that's what we have to, in terms of us being Muslims, in terms of us striving for, to, as we think, or to change our destination, or what's determined for us, is to try and make the right choices when they, are, when they appear, or when they come. But, you see, the point of changing destiny, I mean, this is clear. You see, this is not an area where we can uh, reflect rationally and say, well, I don't think or I think. We go according to what the Prophet has told us. And the Prophet has told us that you may change destiny by prayer. Prayer does change destiny. But he also further informed us that there is a set of death, uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a destiny which is in, in, in a record held by the angel. And there is another which is, in the, the, which is with Allah alone, which is unchangeable. So, when we put this all together, we get an understanding. I mean, if, if the Prophet said that prayer changes destiny, we can't say, I don't think that prayer changes de- anything changes destiny, because destiny is written. No. We, because this is, our, this is our foundation here, especially when we go into areas which have to do with what we call, you know, ilmul ghayb, knowledge of the unseen. Is this, we can only uh, express based on what the Prophet has informed us because his information was coming from Allah this is not an area of you know rational uh, uh, interpretation etc right so the point is that uh, as I stated that the, the destiny what was and what would be was written the one which is with Allah is unchangeable the one which is with the angels which when the Prophet described that when the, the um, child reaches the beginning of the fifth month, the angel comes, puts in the spirit at that time into the child, it becomes a, a living human at that point, and writes at that time what was going to be in that individual's life. But this is according to the natural flow. This destiny may be changed by the individual in the choices that he makes in his life. Let's change the word destiny, faith, because I know we say destiny. Faith and destiny are interchangeable in English. When you say faith or you say destiny, it is, it's the same thing. Well, I say when you say destiny, uh, uh, what's the way of think of destiny? That you, somebody is destined to something, I mean, he's compelled. He has no choice what to do. Well, that is an interpretation. No, destiny means, destiny means that there is an end that you are going to meet, which has been set for you. It has been set for you. And for sure. No, no, no. No, you see, whether you, your choice has any role in it or not, that's a, that is a point which those who use this terminology amongst Christian scholars, etc., have been arguing about for centuries. For us, it is clear. We have already, you know, there's no argument in this area that we do have choice. Our choice determines our end. 
our choices determines our end. But Allah has already written what our choices would be and what our end would be. But it is based on our choice. I mean, this is, this is the bottom line for the situation. There is a destined or fated end for us, which is a result of choices we made in this life. And uh, I mean, as the brother admitted, in the end of it, when we speak of destiny, it's uh, it's almost like a cop out. So, it's, it's, as the brother mentioned, uh, it's, it's, if everything is predestined, I can do what I want. So I can just go on and carry on in this life. But if I'm wallowing in the mire, let me wallow in the mire and not still make that choice to get out of the mire when it comes. And uh, this is, I, I don't know, I, I see that as, as a cop-out for, I don't know, I, I can't say it's a cop-out for the Christians or the Hindus or whoever believe in this particular concept, but it's, it's a cop-out for those, it, 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 is, it is there for those who want to ride on that particular concept of saying that, okay, I don't have a choice, I can just, I can continue doing my life as I want, I can rob the bank because it's destined that I rob the bank to use, it, use these things, it's there, but... I don't think it's, 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 as I mentioned, I think it's just something that uh, is uh, a cop out in, in terms of making the right choice. When, when we are presented the, the opportunity to make the choice, it is, it, it's easy to do wrong. And if to do wrong, we you want to use the crutch and say, okay, I'll make the choice because this is my destiny, then that's, that's, that will be the excuse of that particular individual. But the point is that, the point is that, the idea of the destiny in Islam it is something which is real and it is accepted. However, we look at choices that we make as being a part of that destiny. And the argument that evil which has resulted is according to the destiny of God, this is not something which did not which we did not crossed the minds of the early Muslims in the time of Omar the second caliph of Islam a man was caught stealing and when he was caught stealing and the judgment was to be made to cut off his hand he said it was God's destiny that I stole and Omar answered fine and it is God's destiny that I cut off your hand <laughs> You see, so this is not something which, which, you know, which cast the minds of the people. The term in Arabic is so clear that people didn't have that misconception. No. People, those who sought to use destiny as a justification for evil, they existed in that time also. And they will exist until the day of judgment. You know, there's no escape from it. Right? Those who seek good, then they will understand what it means that things are destined and they will make the right choices in their life. I just want to understand that when we're faced with important choices, we should remember that we're fallible, and that's why the prophet prophet is fallible. Because on the things which you heard, you know, this is a big move, I've got to do the right thing. You can ask God to intercede and make the right choice for you. Yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a good point. The, the istikhara, you know, which is istikhara prayer is, a prayer in which we ask Allah that if what we are seeking to do but it's, it's actually, actually what it is is that you decide what you are going to do it's not actually that you pray you don't make any decision and you pray but you decide what you are going to do and then you pray and ask Allah if this decision is for something which is good for me then make it easy for me if this decision is for something which is harmful to me then make it difficult for me and keep me away from it so it's not a matter that you actually just, you know, you go into a state of indecision and you just make the dua, you make this prayer for, uh, for guidance from Allah and then you're waiting for some magical sign to appear in your dream or in your life that, oh, this is what I should do. No, you actually, you weigh the thing. Allah has given you, you know, uh, some power of intellect and understanding and you weigh it and try to choose what appears to be the best. But you know, as you said, that we are fallible. 
we are not infallible we, these choices may be not the right choices so we ask Allah to help us and if it is the right choice make it easy and help us with it and if it is the wrong choice then make it difficult and keep us away from it but we do make a choice and Allah says also in Surah Al-Isra'ah uh, He says وَيَدْعُ الْإِنسَانُ بِالشَّرِّ دُعَاهُ بِالْخَيْرِ you know and a man will ask for evil with his prayer for good you know he's praying for what he thinks to be good for himself but in fact it's evil he doesn't know this is why we have this istikhar uh, we ask Allah you know when we ask for these things we should really ask if it isn't that good for us please you know help us with it but if it isn't then and that's how we also accept that when we pray though Prophet Muhammad has informed us that the prayer of the believer will be answered one who believes in God truly his prayer will be answered 100% except you know if he is you know breaking family ties and you know he's involved in shit and stuff like that. but if he's a correct believer you know dealing with his, the basic requirements of Islam his prayers will be answered however they may not be answered in this life some may be answered in this life and others which may be things harmful for him Allah will save it for him on the day of judgment as blessing for him on the day of judgment Enough minimal requirement for a person, you know, the soul to be served in eternal hellfire. For example, if you have a person who says, you know, a Muslim, he doesn't pray, he doesn't, he doesn't perform the act of a Muslim. In fact, he may be committing the things that he does, like drinking, uh, fornication. But he, he claims to be a Muslim. He really believes, and he says, uh, he has the minimal requirement of charity. Is that enough to take him from eternal hellfire? Like he may go to hellfire, but in the end, come out and go to the this is a, a, a common misconception which you know many Muslims hold and it is something which God speaks about, not in reference to the Muslims, but in reference to the Jews and in the Christians, wherein they look at themselves as being the chosen people of God, the children of God. You know, this is especially in the case of the Jews we know, but God also refers to both of the children of, of Israel as well as the Christian. Feeling that as long as they have accepted Jesus, for example, to be their personal Savior, they are going to paradise, no matter what they do. Deeds are not really of consequence. These can maybe help you to some degree, but it's not really the consequence. The thing of consequence is that acceptance of God becoming man and dying for your sins. You know, similarly, the Jews, you know, believing that just the fact that you are a Jew, that's it. You are guaranteed paradise. Now, Allah talks about this throughout the Quran. Not for us to know that these are some of the beliefs of the Jews and the Christians. So we have this as a, as a fact that we store in our memory bank. And when we're talking to Christians and Jews, we can say, well, listen, you, you believe this is wrong? No. This is a warning to the Muslims that they don't fall into that same syndrome. Because paradise is not guaranteed merely because of a profession of faith or because of a you know Allah's destiny that you be born in a tribe or a family or whatever no there is no paradise guaranteed for that individual paradise is guaranteed for one who believes in God sincerely from his heart this is it this is why when the Prophet Muhammad has said that anyone who says La ilaha illallah there is no God but Allah will enter paradise this is one statement he made on another occasion he clarified that further he said anyone who says that sincerely from his heart will enter paradise 
just to remove that misunderstanding that people may have from just the fact that you parrot la ilaha Allah you know that this guarantees you paradise no it is only for those who sincerely believe because we are human beings that a person may have sincere belief but his desires may overcome him and he may fall and do some things which are sinful he may do this and as such he may be punished in the next life for the sins that he did in this life but he would inherit paradise because of his sincere belief which would lead him if the opportunity presented itself to do some good deeds because we have to take into account for example a man who lives his whole life and finally hears about Islam when he is you know the day before his death he realizes it he accepts it wholeheartedly and he dies the next day he has no chance to do any good deeds is he saying he will not go to paradise? Of course he will. Because it was Allah's destiny, the flow of his life to that point. Now when he heard and he had the chance, now he has the opportunity to choose the right path and Allah will reward him for it. And that is based on the sincerity of his belief. But those people who are walking around saying, you know, well we are Muslims, we are going to paradise anyway. These are people who in fact do not have sincerity of belief. Their, their belief is, is based on, you know, their, uh, their identity card. You know, we're Muslims because it says on our identity card here, we're Muslims, our parents are Muslims, so we're Muslims. That will not carry them into paradise. And this is why, you know, we also have a verse in the Quran where Allah says, um, what is it, um, most of those who claim that they believe in Allah commit shirk they don't really believe in Allah Halakallahumma bihamdika nashhadu wa la ilaha al-hamd nistaghfiruka we ask Allah to help us to be steadfast when slander and pride is directed towards us for us to realize within ourselves that this is the natural uh, difficulties which we are bound to face throughout our lives once we have chosen the path of truth we ask that you give us the strength to stay on that path until we die and inherit paradise. Amen.